Hello and welcome to the Alan and Overy podcast. We've been talking a lot with our clients about their digital transformation strategies. In another podcast, we've looked at the Build, Buy, Collaborate continuum and how these deals can be used to bring innovation into the business. Today, though, we're going to focus on corporate venturing, that is, acquiring minority stakes in smaller, often high-growth or disruptive enterprises. Corporate venturing is becoming an increasingly popular tool to accelerate digital transformation programs. My name is Rose Hall, and I head up BD for our tech group. Joining me today is William Semingo-Turner, a London-based M&A partner focused on technology and digital transformation. So, well, I guess the obvious question is why? What does investing in early-stage companies offer to established businesses? Have they all decided to become venture capitalists? I don't think they've all become venture capitalists, but I do think it's a really interesting market at the moment because there's so many different reasons that a corporate investor may want to engage in these investments. Um, for some, it's insights into new models and new technology and new ways of applying that technology. For others, it's access to talent and the people, particularly in a competitive market such as the, the UK and the fintech market. And um, for others, it's access to intellectual property and the, um, and the, the assets under, underneath that. And what about the startups? What's in it for them? Well, on one level, of course, there's the capital, which is the primary reason you'd go to market to to to, to raise the raise the funds to allow the business to continue to grow. But in a, for a number of startups, having a brand name or a, a well respected investor on your cap table is a real boon to the business and really gets, sort of underlines the 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 importance of that of that startup in the market. So established companies aren't turning into VCs in the traditional sense. It sounds as though there's more to this than a simple return on investment in the fiscal sense. Yes, I think that's right. I think we'd say in the deals that we see um, in the market, the vast majority of them don't have fiscal uh, the fiscal drivers as the primary ones. There are so many other reasons why you might want to choose to t- undertake one of these investments. But does corporate venturing nonetheless reflect the usual market practice of VC firms? And by that, I mean the sorts of terms used by the British Venture Capital Association or the US National Venture Capital Association. Yes, I think that the, what we see is that most of the terms in the marketplace are standardised. The BVCA, as you say, in the UK and the NVCA in the US release uh, the, the standard form documents upon which most transactions are based. However, the transactions will you know, develop over time and the, the, the terms are amended. So I think what that allows for is, is a, a smooth and, 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 and quick transaction in some senses because you're using standard form documents, um, but a focus on the, ma- on the points that really matter to the investor. So that may well be the economics or the governance or any of those points of strategy we, we talked about earlier. So who is doing this? Is it companies across all industries? Uh, do they share certain characteristics that make them favour of corporate venturing? I think it's true to say that it's being seen across all sectors to a, to a certain degree. The areas where it's been picked up and 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 taken taken um, more fully are in areas where there's been significant disruption in the marketplace. So classically, fintech, um, the, the the incumbent and established uh, financial players in the market have got very comfortable with making these these strategic investments um, at an early stage in companies' lives where they see interesting new products and and business models come to market. Um, it, 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 it really does just depend on where you are in, in, in the marketplace. And so M&A will be a fairly common activity for most of these companies. What are the characteristics of these deals that set them apart? 
So these deals is compared to a full-blown M&A, which um, a lot, as you say, a lot of the corporates who approach these transactions were very familiar with. These are generally done under shorter timeframes and with a, 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 a more focused approach, particularly in the areas of um, diligence. And as I mentioned earlier, on, on, on the transaction documents being standardized, so hopefully not amending those documents too much. Um, it's really very important to focus on the things that really matter to you and your business. And when you're looking at these um, transactions, it's really going to be in in a few very key areas. So what are the key areas that you see companies focus on in the due diligence process? Well, typically these are uh, tech-focused companies. So they're IP-rich companies. Uh, and on that basis, you're really focusing on um, two key things initially, which is the the IP and the creators of that IP. So does it own all the IP it, 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 that it, it requires in order to run its business? And are the employees who create that IP um, assigning all that IP over to the business so that it's all in the right place and on, on the right contractual terms? There's an overlay as well if you're in a regulated space, um, so classically fintech again, that the company has thought carefully about its regulatory position within the marketplace and that you are comfortable that it understands both its regulatory obligations and has also understood how to follow those obligations and has done so. And what about the relationship between the investor and the investee? Is that similar to a venture capital model or different? Well, this is classically where um, a lot of the corporate venturers have to get comfortable early on because in, in a situation where you have a classic M&A or even a majority um, investment, you have a lot more control uh, over the company that you are. Well, obviously, in a 100% acquisition, you have total control, but in a majority investment, you have a significant amount of control. In these situations, your control is is that much more diminished because you're, you, you may well have a stake of, of 10% or less. And so companies, as the, inve- as the investor, they have to get comfortable with that reduced control. And equally, the, the investee company has to get used to the idea that it's got a, a large corporate on it in its cap table and on the board and understand how they're going to relate to each other. So what are the issues that you'd advise corporates to start thinking about before they become a, a, a corporate investor? I think the key thing here is for the both the legal team and the business team to understand the strategic rationale for the for making the investments in the first place, because that will really drive the priorities you place in, 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 in the documentation and the negotiations from a very early stage, really from term sheet stage. Um, so understanding early on why you're doing it is very important. That's often the first question we ask, you know, is it is it that you want to get closer to the, the people in the business? Is it to build a stake? Um, looking towards a future acquisition, or is it um, a, a, a play to, to to get better access to the IP? All of those those three different models will, will require very different transaction terms. And what are the pitfalls for would-be corporate investors? Well, at, at, at first principles, obviously, these are um, high-growth companies that move very quickly. So there's a different uh, risk profile in terms of the, the, the investment itself. Some of these companies um, do grow quickly, but then stop growing very quickly. Um, so internally, the company needs to, the investor needs to understand that, that it is a very different um, uh, risk proposition. But then there's also the broader, taking a step back, broader um, issues of the potential for culture clash between the investor and the startup. I mean, if you, if you're, if many of these companies have, will have very different cultures to the investors um, and 
that's part of the benefit of the of 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 that of the underlying startup, but also can cause issues in the long run if you are trying to do things in very different ways. So understanding how how those two companies are going to work together post investment is very important. So I think we're used to the idea that companies seeking investment are trying to make themselves attractive to those investors. Um, but is it also the case that investor companies, when they're corporates, need to be equally attractive to the companies they're looking to invest in? Absolutely. The classic situation of a startup that is has a huge amount of competition in its fundraising is one where an investor is obviously going to want to be as an attractive uh, a bet as possible for that company. And there will be uh, you know, competition for, for space in the cap table. Uh, and investors need to think carefully about um, how they make themselves attractive. And there are, are ways, but while also remaining true to the kind of investor that you intend to be. The easiest way of approaching that is to is to really identify those red lines which are very important to you as an investor. So is it the board seat that you need or is it a particular um, ability to uh, to call shares at a certain time or in certain events? And what are the items which actually you can live without? And then being very frank and open with the target company so that you can have a good and productive conversation early on at term sheet, term sheet stage to ensure that you are as attractive an investor as possible. Thanks, Will. So so one of the points I take away from our conversation is the importance of vision, if you like, on the part of corporates looking to make minority investments in early stage companies. Um, clearly, there are some challenges to negotiate in these deals, not least cultural fit between two potentially very different organisations. But it sounds to me as though by keeping a razor sharp focus on the strategic rationale for doing the deal, you can afford to, shall we say, not sweat the small stuff. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. I think the 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 these deals can, or these this form of investing can be a very powerful tool um, as part of your digitalization strategy, um, and an important one to give you access to some of the most exciting and disruptive businesses in the market today. By the same token, it does require a, certain, a different approach from one which you may well not be, or investors may well not be used to up to date. And so early early consideration, as you say, of the strategic rationale and what you're going to plan to ask for in these investments is the thing to make it work as quickly and as smoothly as possible. Thanks so much. Well, it's been a really interesting discussion. 